0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, it's good to be here with you today. It's been a little while since I've been able to share the word with you, so I'm like pumped to be here. It's such a privilege to preach to you. It really is such a privilege to be a part of this community. So I'm excited to continue this uh, conversation about a life shared. Um, Part three, take a step. What does this mean? This, You guys got to lean in because I can't take your step. Literally, I don't have your legs. I've got my own legs. You have to take a step. And so we're going to talk about life shared in what that looks like now. What's our next step? How do we actually live out these ideas? Instead of just coming and listening to a sermon and listening to thoughts and ideas and going, yeah, that was a really good thought. It's time to actually take a step with those thoughts. Over the past two weeks, we've spoken about different aspects of a life shared, and we started with the motivation. What is the motivation? The motivation is is God is actually seeking and saving the lost, and we get to be a part of that. And then also the responsibility that we all have in being a part of that gospel witness into the world. Our hope, is in, our hope has been for this series that maybe would kind of like spark up the flame again in our community, that we'd start to put a little bit of fire into the spirit of evangelism in this church um, so that we would not tend into inactivity when it comes to our faith, but we'd actually be constantly thinking about opportunities where we can share our faith. And it's also to kind of reframe some thinking about uh, evangelism in light of the context of the church going out. Um, There are often people, when they come into the topic of evangelism, they say, yeah, but that's for the evangelists. And while there is a unique gracing for those who have been called to live a life dedicated as an evangelist, what we see throughout New Testament scriptures more often is this being sent as a community. It's actually, the commands are often to the community. It's like, you all go, you all do this. This is a part of the commission for you. It's not just on one person to go and seek and save the lost. It's the church's mission that we get to be involved in to seek and save the lost. Yet often we come to the next step, the taking a step. We come with a little bit of fear and hesitation. Maybe that's because you're like, well, I don't have the personality. Or maybe I don't have room in my my house to actually create space for people. We have this fear that's connected as to maybe how we'll be received and, and will our words actually hold any weight? uh, Researchers and authors, Ed Stetzer and David Putman, put it this way. They say Christianity is not an isolationist experience. It is covenantal and communal. See, the church's mission is an outworking of the mission of God in the world. It's actually not our mission. When you think about it, it's like we're actually like the James Bonds. We've been sent out. From God as like spies into the world to actually be a part of that mission. It's not our mission. We didn't create the mission. We get invited into that mission. Jesus said to his disciples in John 20, verse 21, He says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, the Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sends the church. Evangelism by the church in this world is a continuation of Trinity work. We are invited to be a part of the work of the Trinity by being sent from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jürgen Moltmann says it this way. It is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. You're like, well, what? What? It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church, creating a church as it goes on its way. We're included, and as we're included in this mission, we continue to create the church. Isn't that a cool concept? That as we are included in the mission of God, as we continue to journey on, it like gener- it's like a, like a little snowball that starts on the top of a mountain. And as we continue to include each other in it, like it gets bigger and bigger and it just takes out the mountain. That is what we get to do as the church. We are creating the church as we go on mission for God. We are sent and we continue to add to the work of the church as we've been called into the good work of the gospel. So what is the good work of the gospel? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are the outcome of salvation. They are not the cause of salvation. So, in light of our salvation, we should be compelled into good works of Christ, one of which is communicating and living out the cause of our salvation. This is our act of evangelism. Let me say that again. Good works are the outcome of our salvation, not the cause. They are not the cause of your salvation, but in light of our salvation, we're compelled to those good works, one of which is communicating and living out the cause of our salvation. It's just continues to generate. So what are the good works and how should we walk in them? It's like, okay, well, what's the step then? Give me my list, Emma, and I'll be on my way. (laughs) That's not how I roll. If we, as the people of God, are invited into the heart of evangelism in God, how then do we go being sent? Like, what's the work of being sent in this world? In the book of Colossians, Paul and Timothy, they're addressing the church regarding how they live their shared life as believers. Like, this is how we should demonstrate that we are believers. And while Paul does give some clear uh, instructions, he's actually very careful to not reinforce rules and regulations that so plague the Pharisees and the Jews. Brother, he does what Jesus did. He goes to the heart of the matter and he instills principle. Colossians 3.17, he says this, and this is going to be the scripture we use today. So get your notepads out. Joel's all over it. You got your binder? (laughs) If you need note-taking tips, Joel Fairkettle will talk to you after the service. Are you ready? Colossians 3.17. Let's read this together, church. And whatever you do, so this is him summing it up. Okay, these are the, you should behave like this. But whatever you do, whatever it is, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, this is the thing. If we were to go through the list of like, well, how do we behave as a community? How do we behave as a community? What do we do? What do we like? How do we list all of those things? Paul just says, hey, but whatever you do like whatever it looks like, whatever it is, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever it is that you do in taking a step, in word and deed, do it unto the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul instills this principle, a principle that directs and guides the application. So if you wanted me to give you purely application today, you're gonna be sorely disappointed because I believe that godly principle will lead you to right application for every circumstance. This principle shows us two things, that our lives as believers are evidenced in word and deed. Our lives as believers are evidenced in word and deed. And second, that our word and deeds yield to our faith. They are yielded to our faith. This means that our words and deeds must not be under compulsion or duty, but in freedom and thanksgiving. Rules, lists, regulations, how-tos, TED Talks will never be a good substitute for the genuine faith founded in Christ when it comes to living fully in him through word and deed. So what do we do? You're like, well, what do I do with that? Like, like, that's a great principle. What do I do? Give me application. That's okay. There's more principle that leads you to application that we're going to discover today. But we do. We lean into these godly principles. These are our next steps. If they're not applied in the heart, they're not going to last the test of time. If I purely give you a list of things to do today, but you don't let it hit the heart, it's going to be forgotten about tomorrow. And so if we actually want the flame of evangelism to grow in this church, let this hit your heart. Let this have not duty or obligation tied to it, but freedom and thanksgiving. When we actually yield our word and our deed to our faith, we can't not be free in bringing the gospel. We can't not experience the freedom of sharing the good news. It's a natural, a, a natural outcome of our salvation. See, principles that see the stranger and welcomes them home, not from duty or strategy, but from a heart of conviction, is based upon the fact fe- that the fact that our faith is the salvation of all mankind. That's it. See you later. Have a good day. But let's disco- discover word and deed a little bit more. Let's have a look at this passage. Word and deed. See, in reaching out on behalf of the gospel, we must actually live out the gospel. This means that the gospel must be evident amongst disciples if we are going to make disciples. So this is where we hear it's not an isolationist experience. Oh, the gospel message is evident amongst disciples if we're wanting to make disciples. Which for all of you who are like, yeah, I'm going to go save the world but hate the brother next to me. That's not how it works. To extend the gospel message across the globe, it actually takes a united front. Our word and our deed to this world needs to be evident from how the world sees how we live as a faith community. When we as Christians embody the gospel and how our words and deeds reflect the gospel, we're giving a compelling testimony to the gospel That is our testimony, how we have Christian community is a part of the testimony of Jesus Christ to the world. If we want people to actually take seriously the words of Christ from us, then we must actually prove those words to be true. So for example, we cannot just talk about loving each other. We can't just be like, yeah, love a brother, love a sister. We can't just talk about it. We actually need to love people, which means we need to love each other. John 13, 34 to 35 says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another and our unity as Christians does not just give credibility to the gospel, it proclaims the gospel. The message is embodied and proclaimed in the community that loves one another. Turn to your neighbor. Do you love them? Husbands and wives are getting a little cozy right now. Do you love them? How? How do your words and your deeds actually exhibit that you love the person next to you? Okay, so you chose to sit next to that person. Yeah, of course you did. Comfortable. Don't want to sit next to a stranger in church. All right, look to the person behind you or in front of you, wherever you are. Do you love them? You're, you're all welcome, by the way, you young adults. Um, How do you express that love in word and deed to the brother and sister in Christ sitting amongst you right now? Is it enough to purely say hi in the lobby and then be on your way? Because if you read the letters from Paul in the New Testament, that is not what he commissions us to. In word and deed, how do we exhibit this love amongst each other? How do we actually make disciples if we don't love each other as his disciples? Yet throughout church history, we've seen the church be in this, the church be in the attention of word and deed. They're like, well, word is the method of evangelism. Well, deed is the method of evangelism. Often in our attempt to lean into either one, the the proclamation or the good works of the gospel, we dismiss the other as inferior to the gospel message. Yet here we see in Matthew 11, verse 1 to 6, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So there we go. Word, it must all be word then. Oh, hang on a second. There's another verse. Now, while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or are we going to look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind receive sight and those who limp walk, those with leprosy are cleansed and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. We see Jesus going out to teach and preach and in meeting the physical needs of those around him. Christ himself embodied a gospel message preached and practiced. It's not either or, it's both. We don't just speak about God's mercy toward us as a community, we embody God's mercy in how we care for each other. As we speak about God's forgiveness, we forgive. As we declare Christ's love for the world, we must love one another. Verbal witness to the gospel is expressed in practical demonstrations of love that address human needs. It is proclamation and presence. Proclamation and presence. It's explanation and experience. It's word and deed. Word indeed being active together in the message of the gospel does not undermine the gospel, but enriches it. The words bring about deeds and the deeds validate the words. So let's have a look at word. What does it look like for us to share the gospel in word? Whatever you do in word, do it unto the name of Jesus. Our words matter. They have the power of life and death in them. So many of us prefer to do the preaching without the words, but we just want to live a good life and hope that our living a good life will speak for itself. And while our words do need to give witness to Christ, often before people want to hear us preach, they want our words to invite them to something. We must use our words to invite people to life. Our invitation is not to a party. We're not inviting people to a social event or a soiree. The invitation is far greater than a moment on the church calendar. It's more than KPIs and goals and achievements or quotas. The invitation is to life. It's to life. Before it's an event, before it's a service, it's life. We are inviting people into life through how we live our life, a shared life. The invitation is for people to live, to come alive today and to outlive their life. That's what we're inviting people to. So before we invite them to a service, we have to understand what it truly is that we're inviting people to partake in. We invite them into a shared life. I like sharing. Some of you are thinking, I know, that's why we're talking about it. (laughs) It's a life where we open up space and time for them. We create space for them, laying down our agendas and our comforts, and we invite people in to experience Jesus. When we understand the weight of the invitation, the urgency then follows. A great evangelist, D.L. Moody, he had a ministry focused increasingly on rescuing souls. However, he was very active in deeds as well, in in serving uh, soldiers in the Civil War and leading them to Christ, and helping with the healing. But he exclaimed, he said this, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, Moody, save all you can. How do you see this world? When, When we talk about the conversation of evangelism, how do you actually view this world? Is it just a place for you to rest your feet? Is it a place for you to build a kingdom of your own? And find comfort until the day of your death, which we don't like talking about that, but we got to at some point. I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, Moody, save all you can. This statement reveals to us that the invitation cannot wait. Yeah. Evangelism not only consists of the proclamation of the person and the work of christ but it is an invitation to be a part of christ's earthly community is our invitation to others an invitation for them to come as they are into our spaces like your home are you okay with people coming into your space who like think about that practically for a second you're like yeah that's great i love it no think about that practically for a second These words can't just be up in the air, they have to hit the ground. They actually have to be practiced words. When we extend the invitation to someone, have we also allowed them to bring their doubts and skepticisms? Or is there prerequisites that they must have before we make space in our time and in our homes for them? If there is, we have to identify and remove those conditions. How can people experience life-changing moments if we don't allow them to have those moments with us? When it comes to extending an invitation to people, a lot of us probably are fearful and go, but what do I, what do I invite them to? Like, what am I inviting them? Okay, so I've got the principle that it's life. Okay, got that covered. I hope that's hit home because otherwise this is going to last. What, what next? Like, what can I actually do? The truth is, a lot of people... Most people, not everyone, most people will respond better to an invitation to a barbecue or a coffee than they will to a worship service. But see, you guys have carved Sundays as a part of that space it's like yeah but i don't like sundays is for that like i come to church people can come to church with me i don't have any more time in my week to have a barbecue with people or to have a coffee with people okay well now we're going to start talking about practicalities of time when we talk about a life shared you make room in your time to create that space like, we, it can't just be, because not everyone's going to say yes to your invitation to, like, listen to your preacher on a Sunday. Like, they're like, yeah, I don't know, they, they're very hand-clappy. I don't know if I want to be there. Like, have you met Austin Pankretz? He's like, honestly, he holds up all of the clapping for all of you, so. <laughs> A lot of people aren't going to respond to wanting to come in these doors. Why? Because they have maybe some misinformation about who Jesus is in light of who the church has been over the years. Or maybe maybe there's like some fear about coming in and being vulnerable. Like people want to be in your life. Like your life, not just the church building. Like have a barbecue. Have a barbecue. Okay, now I'm going to application. I'm going there. Have a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> have a coffee. Like invite people into your not life. And, and don't guise it with like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Like you have to share your life. This isn't just a one moment. This is my only opportunity to bring Jesus to them. It's like you have to make space for them in your life, in your everyday living. If that means having them come over while you feed three children chicken nuggets and fold laundry, so be it. That is your life. Holla. Okay. (laughs) Invite them into your life. It's so funny because our world desires instant gratification, right? Like we we see that about the world we live in. And I wonder if as believers we've been susceptible to that when it comes to our friends and our family and our co-workers coming to know Christ. Within our invitation, are we seeking a quick win of salvation rather than a life shared? I think A lot of the time, yeah, it's like, well, I've just got to get as many numbers, I've got to get as many names over the line, but we're not willing to have a life shared with people. Is the invitation based upon a desire for an instant testimony that validates ourselves? Is that why we do it? In the same way, do we use not speaking up as an excuse for our faith? Do we get comfortable with people in companionship, but then never actually use our words to invite them into something further, something deeper, something more? It's like, yeah, well, I invited my neighbors over and we've got great relationship, but we never talk about Jesus. Like, you have to balance these two things in your life. A life shared means your whole life. So you can't compartmentalize Jesus with the barbecue with your neighbor. You have to let him be a part of those moments. It doesn't have to be weird by the way unless you are weird in which case embrace your weirdness (laughs) it's fine my family did and we're doing okay (laughs) we must be willing to walk with people and while walking with them we have to continue by our words bringing the invitation of Jesus to them so can an invitation be an instant moment of salvation Yes. And can an invitation be a journeying towards salvation? Yes. You will experience both in your life if you partner with the spirit of evangelism in this world. The constant in both of those statements is the fact that there must be an invitation. This isn't based upon personality type or eloquence of language we all have the ability to extend an invitation to someone to something and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him deed indeed our deeds our deeds address human needs and they can be a soothing balm to a cynical world The world may not believe the church, but often when they see the church, the words that we preach are given a weightiness that allows for conversation beyond the barriers that the world has constructed. When they see the church, there are many ways we can let our deeds proclaim the gospel. But I think in our time and culture, few are more compelling than hospitality. When was the last time you exhibited hospitality to this world in the name of Jesus Christ? Deeds of hospitality are not the proclamation of the gospel, but they can be an introduction to the conversation of the gospel. It can be an open door. Hospitality is something that every one of us can do to join Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. It doesn't require a large home. It doesn't require rooms full of beautiful and expensive furnishings. It doesn't require you to be an amazing cook. Though at times it includes food because everyone loves to get around food. When you look at Jesus' ministry, what was a constant in his world? Food. He was always dining and whining with people. Even the Pharisees hit him up about it. They're like, you know, you're just like a drunkard and a sluggard. That's what they said about Jesus. Now, on the flip side, when John the Baptist didn't do any of those things, they just didn't believe him either. And Jesus responds, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Deeds of hospitality are an introduction to the conversation of the gospel. One definition of hospitality that I've heard is to treat strangers like friends. I hope you're a good friend, because that could go bad otherwise. Hospitality is an open door of opportunity for genuine relationship that brings about honest conversations. That's the truth. Test it. When we read the Gospels, we see it exhibited throughout Christ's life. When we practice hospitality, we are actually embodying Gospel presence, Gospel presence. We create an environment for people to not just hear the gospel, but to experience it in real life. At times, a starving man may be more willing to listen to the gospel if he were to receive a loaf of bread. An abandoned child might comprehend the message of God's love for her if she's able to experience a safe, secure, and loving relationship. An anxious student may understand what it is to be at peace with God if we are willing to wade through the storms of life with them. A lonely elder may understand the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if someone would just sit with them in their loneliness. Our hospitality to this world is the experience of the gospel. I love what... um, Roman Emperor Julian, a pagan, he became fearful of the church. Fearful that they would maybe take over the Roman Empire and as a result of their good works amongst the community. And in a letter he says this, Why then do we think that this is sufficient and do not observe how the kindness of Christians to strangers, their care for the burial of their dead, and the sobriety of their lifestyle has done the most to advance their cause? Each of these things, I think, ought really to be practiced by us, the Greeks. For it is disgraceful when the impious Galilean Christians support our poor in addition to their own. I love that so much. I'm like, don't you want your hospitality to be a positive disruption? Like, that's what was happening here. It's like, we're not even looking after our people and the Christians are doing it. Yes, I want the world to say that. I want the world to be like... The Christians are doing something about this. The Christians are doing something about the, the needs of the world. I would love to have such positive things spoken about the body of Christ. See, deeds are not words and words are not deeds, but they are a powerful force when they converge on the account of the gospel. William and Catherine Booth, the founders of the Salvation Army, brought to meet, uh, sought to meet physical and spiritual needs of the poor. And this was their slogan. Soup, soap, and salvation. Soup, soap, and salvation. And what an impact that has had. The world knows the Salvation Army. Hospitality before it's a practice is a principle, a principle that has many applications in our world today, whether it is by a word of encouragement to the soccer mom waiting for a kid in the pouring rain, or by paying for the 10th grader's Big Mac meal and extra large fries at the takeout. Or maybe it's an invitation for coffee to the new student in your psychology class. Or maybe it's by starting a conversation with the neighbor that you've lived next to for 20 years but only ever waved to at garbage day. Maybe it's getting the courage to sit next to the weird kid in class and be a friend because that's the type of person you are. Maybe it's invitation to a game of basketball or a morning walk or a meal to the new parents in your building complex. It can be many things. What will it be in your life? What will you do with word and deed to see the gospel message reached? Hospitality opens doors that otherwise may have been barricaded towards the church. It's funny because in a world of surplus many believe that hospitality is now outdated. Well, we have everything we need, so what's the point? Yet hospitality is not just an extension of a need, but an extension of a relationship. For the millionaire down the road, while they don't have a need for things, that doesn't mean that they don't have a desire for relationship. Hospitality is an extension of relationship. It's not found in the gift, it's found in the giver. That's the heart of hospitality. Your acts of hospitality are an invitation to yourself. Are you prepared? Have you made room? Have you organized your life for people to be invited to you? You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be there. You just have to be witnessing the community of believers in our faults and our flaws and in our good things too. Our prayer should be that when you are invited in, that when they are invited into us, they are introduced to Jesus. For we are his bride and he's our bridegroom and it's weird if you don't introduce your friends to your husband. It is, think about it. That illustration that we see in New Testament scripture, Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Imagine inviting someone over to your house and not introducing them to your spouse. It's weird. It's weird, right? That's the most prioritized relationship in your life. So why would you not introduce them to the bridegroom, to Jesus? Why don't you stand with me, church? So however you go about the invitation and the hospitality, you can write a list later. Plan, actually plan it. Whatever word and deed looks like, do it in his name. Further on in the letter to the church in uh, Colossae, Paul says this after giving them this commission of word Indeed, He says, And devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. He's talking about the non-believer. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need prayer. We need to pray. We need to pray that doors would be opened, that God would give us courage to proclaim the gospel through word and deed, that he'd equip us with the wisdom in how we behave towards those who don't know him. And that we, he, we would pray that every opportunity we would take captive for the gospel message. Do we pray for opportunity? When you wake up in the morning and you organize your day and you get everything lined up for what the day looks like. Do you knock on do- the he- uh, doors of heaven and be like, hey God, what are you doing today? Like, can I, can I join? Can I be a part of that today? Do we pray for opportunities to be included in God's work in every day? I think maybe we've forgotten how to pray for opportunities. We pray for opportunities that we'd have success in our workplaces, in our families, that that our lives would be good, but do we pray for a life-shared opportunity? If we're just praying for opportunities for ourselves, Doesn't that just limit the gospel message to this world? Do we truly actually have the desire to be a part of God's work? Maybe for some of you today, you need that desire to start up again. It's like, hey, maybe I've lost sight. It's okay, by the way. We all have to, like, we constantly have to recalibrate in our faith. Do you actually pray? that you'd have the desire to be involved in God's work. If you don't have that desire anymore, then we're going to worship and you're going to go to the throne room of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and say, would you give me that desire? I want that desire. I want the desire to reach the people that you love so dearly that you literally gave your life for. Maybe we need to repent from the selfishness of of keeping the life of Jesus captive to just our own personal agendas. It's like, Jesus, I repent. I took your life and I kept it for myself. Maybe we need to repent from that and actually be like, I want to share the life of Jesus. It's more than enough for this whole world. Maybe we need to pray for courage. Courage. God, give me courage that as I go talk to my friend that I've known for her whole life to actually start the conversation today. You can start today, church. No matter what your life has looked like up to this point, it is not so far gone that you can't start the conversation of Jesus Christ with those you've known your whole life. You can start today. Maybe some of you need to actually pray for wisdom. Maybe there's relationships and conversations that you're having that you're like, God, I'm out of my depth with this. And you need to pray for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And maybe it is an invitation to something like Alpha, where people can help carry, where the body of believers can help carry that. Maybe God giving you wisdom is giving you a friend to help carry those hard questions that someone brings to you. We can all take a step to join in on God's mission in this world. We do it through our words. We do it through our deeds. We do it through prayer. He's inviting all of us to this work, not just some of us, all of us. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let fear be something that brings about inactivity. In response to a critic, D.L. Moody says this, He has a critic and he says, I don't like the way you evangelize, Mr. Moody. And he's like, Oh, how would you how do you do it? And he's like, I don't have a method. He's like, Well, I like mine better than yours then. What are we doing? It doesn't have to be something that D. L. Moody did. He was graced with the gift of an evangelist. You don't have to be him. But rather than being the critic of how it's done, why don't you participate in the work that is being done? We are all called to be a part of this work. Don't let fear or inactivity limit you from joining in on the good work that God has in reaching this world. Church, why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? Let's just take a moment to say, Hey, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm coming to you right now. And whatever that prayer may look like for you today, why don't you just start praying it? Whether it's repentance from keeping Jesus to your own life, whether it's courage, whether it's wisdom, whether it's desire or opportunity, can we just take a moment in worship to pray those prayers, to come to the one who sends us and to allow him to send us into this world? God, with thanksgiving, we remember our salvation, that you shared your life with us. And as we imitate you, I pray that we would be compelled to share our lives with others. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.